Welcome to The Backstory with Dr. Ricky Singh. This podcast is focused on bringing you the latest research-based information about dramatically improving health, well-being, and quality of life. And here's your host, Dr. Ricky Singh. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Backstory. I just wanted to say that if you are a first-time listener or a long-time follower, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time from your busy day and tuning into the podcast. Your support really means a lot to me. And if you haven't already, please leave a review, uh, rate the podcast. It helps for us to reach even more people to share some of these health and wellness topics. So again, thank you all for your support. And now to today's episode. I wanted to spend some time to talk to you about weight loss. You know, many of my former podcasts uh, deal with this topic, but today I wanted to really break down and discuss the science of weight loss. When it comes down to it, there are things that we know to be true about weight loss, and most of them are relatively simple. There certainly aren't too many rules to follow, and they can be extremely effective when actually carried out. After diving into the research and seeing what the most up-to-date data suggests about weight loss, I wanted to whittle this down to the top four or five points on how the body gains weight, loses weight, and most importantly, maintains its weight. The first is that diet is more important than exercise. We hear a lot that a little exercise is the key to weight loss, that taking the stairs instead of the elevator will make a difference. But in fact, it's much more efficient just to cut calories. Decreasing food intake is much more effective than increasing physical activity to achieve weight loss. If you want to achieve 300 calorie energy deficit, sure, you can run in the park for three miles or you can choose not to eat that bag of potato chips. The problem is that when you rely solely on exercise, it often backfires for a couple of reasons. This is partly because the exercise's effect on hunger and appetite hormones, which make you feel noticeably hungrier after exercise. For example, if you walk briskly for an hour, and let's say you even burn 400 calories, but then you reward yourself with a beer and a slice of pizza, you often eat more calories than you've burned. So how do we hack this cycle of weight gain and weight loss? The first is metabolism. Whether your metabolism is slow or fast, you can lose weight if you just know what to do. People often talk about the speed of their metabolism, but do we actually know what metabolism really means? About 70% of the calories that you burn each year go towards merely keeping you alive. And this is called the basal metabolic rate, BMR. We have talked about this before in previous episodes. Things like breathing, your heart pumping, blood circulating all over your body, your liver and kidneys cleaning your body, brain function, even things like sleeping, sitting, texting, scrolling on social media. All of these things go into your basal metabolic rate. You burn calories without even knowing you do. 20% of your calories are consumed in larger actions, like walking, to maybe taking the stairs, cleaning your house, exercising. This is the factor that you can control. And sure, increasing activity will burn a few more calories at the end of the day, but it will never rival the calorie consumption in your basal metabolic rate just by simply existing. And finally, 10% of your calories are used to digest your food. And this doesn't vary much from person to person. While some people stress how negative calorie foods like celery take more calories to digest than they supply, sure, that might make a difference, but it's not going to move the needle much in the long run. 
And this is great news for dieters because it means that even though exercise is important for health and wellness and overall well-being, exercise is more of an add-on than a requirement for, for weight loss. The average person burns about 2,000 to 2,500 calories without going to the gym. And if you go to the gym, you might burn an extra 200 or 500 calories. But there's more to this story. Your muscles are more biologically active than most other tissues of your body, meaning they burn more calories even at rest. And I'm not just talking about the muscles that you see, like your pecs and your biceps and your quads and your butt. Certainly, these muscles will add to your basal metabolic rate. And while exercise can help you maintain and add muscle, over time, it's going to have a useful effect on calorie burning and help keep your metabolism from slowing down with advancing age. So exercise is definitely a good strategy to maintain your metabolism. Just don't count on it as your primary strategy to burn calories. The other reality is that you're probably going to have to work a lot harder than other people do and probably forever. Although exercise can help correct or improve or speed up your metabolism, it may never go back to where it was before. So if you have been overweight or obese in your life and you do lose weight, maintaining that weight loss means that you're probably going to have to work harder than other people, and again, maybe forever. I understand that it's not a pretty reality to face, but acceptance and coming to terms and coming to grips with it is also important. This way, you don't get frustrated when you discover that you have to do a lot more work over the long term than your friend does and maybe have less weight loss than they do. And that's why it's important to always be kind to yourself. When we think about losing weight, the assumption is that we're losing fat. But weight loss is a lot more complicated than that because not all weight loss is necessarily fat loss. When we reduce calories, our bodies don't exclusively burn excess fat for fuel. Sure, in the ideal world, the body would just burn fat. We'd all lose belly fats, we'd all have six-pack, we'd all look like models, but unfortunately that's not the case. When you begin a diet and reduce your calories, the body can burn fat, but it can also burn lean muscle if you get too hungry. And that's one of the reasons that crash diets and crash dieters tend to regain their weight pretty quickly. When you crash diet, you often reduce your lean muscle mass, which will effectively slow down your metabolism and decrease your muscle tone. So instead of focusing on the question of how much weight can I lose, maybe instead we should focus on the question, how much fat can I lose? So let's optimize for fat loss. Research shows that typically a healthy rate for fat loss is about one pound per week, one pound of fat per week. You can also use the rule of thumb. If you can burn 1% of your body weight in a week as fat under ideal conditions, that's optimal. So if you're 300 pounds, that would be three pounds of fat. If you're 150 pounds, that's 1.5 pounds of body fat and so on. But body fat is an energy storage system designed for survival. And fat holds twice as much energy per gram than carbohydrates do. So it's a very efficient system. Even a skinny adult carries about 130,000 calories in a relatively small amount of body fat. So just think about that how efficient that system is that a skinny person also holds 130,000 calories in their fat. So, how do we store fat? When we eat starches and sugars, our body breaks these down into glucose, which is the easiest fuel source in our body. If we eat too many calories, our bodies are going to convert this excess glucose into fatty acids and store them away in the form of adipose tissue or fat in the body to use later on. 
But it's not just carbs that turn into fats. Excess amino acids from protein can also convert to fatty acids for storage. So if you're eating a lot of protein or drinking a lot of protein shakes, as long as you have excess energy in your bloodstream, regardless of the form, fat cells can continue to grow and you can continue to store in the form of adipose. So this process of handling excess carbohydrates and the inhibition of breaking down fat is controlled by a complex hormone signaling system, mostly which revolves around insulin. When you have elevated blood sugar from a meal, your body releases insulin, which tells your fat cells, hey, hold on to your energy, don't break down fat, and instead, your muscle and other tissues start to burn glucose and burn energy first. So the question is, how do we burn fat? One of the keys is to maintain stable blood glucose in the body. Once the level of blood glucose drops, insulin also drops and the body starts to mobilize energy from your fat cells. So it's important to note that our fat cells will not release energy if insulin is present. So a diet that keeps your blood sugar stable in a healthy zone is the key to fat loss. This means trying to avoid sugar, trying to avoid refined carbohydrates, white flour, all these fast digesting packaged foods, those all increase your insulin. It's the slower digested foods that are best for your diet and the best to maintain blood sugar, which again, decrease your insulin level. The other key is to avoid muscle loss. If we've used up all the available glucose and we've used up all the fatty acids, then our body is going to turn to other tissues like muscle. But we don't want to encourage that. And this is why crash diets are a bad idea. Diets that lower calories too fast put us in starvation mode, which can cannibalize our muscles, which again, slow down our metabolism. So this Cash 22 has a negative feedback loop, and this is something we are trying to avoid. One of the topics that I like to talk about and I've written about in previous newsletters and podcasts is about calories. And there has been a lot of debate going on back and forth on whether a calorie is a calorie, and I am in that camp. I believe a calorie is a calorie. And it's true, at least in theory and sometimes in practice. And one of the studies that kind of proved or showed this to be true was that a professor at Kansas State University, this was in the early 2000s, put himself on a junk food diet. He ate Twinkies and Hostess and Doritos and chips and Oreos. He did this for 10 weeks only and ended up losing 27 pounds. So from the standpoint of body weight, a calorie is a calorie, no matter what form it comes in. You can gain weight by eating too much healthy food as well as unhealthy. However, from a standpoint of health, certainly it's better to eat your veggies and it's a lot easier to overeat calories from junk food than it is from a huge bag of spinach or broccoli. Certainly the source of calories matters for other reasons, but for weight loss alone, a calorie is just a calorie. Where the calories come from also does matter as they do influence satiety. And what it boils down to is that sticking to any reduced calorie diet will create the energy deficiency needed to lose weight. So the point is not to question what the calorie is, but rather to understand that we need to trade up our foods. And what I mean by that is we need to exchange these very dense calorie-packed foods for foods that are less calorie-dense and more nutritionally dense. These are the ones that are bulkier. They're less energetically rich, but have more or higher quality protein, 
they're lower on the glycemic index and tend to be more fibrous. And these are things like legumes and green leafy vegetables, healthy oils. But it's not all about what you eat and your exercise. We often forget to think about the brain. It's not the body or the metabolism that are actually creating overweight or creating obesity, it's the brain. We know that intuitively that when you make poor decisions, you're more likely to gain weight, and when you make better decisions, you're more likely to lose it. The problem is that over time, poor decisions lead to significant changes in how the brain functions. And amazingly, how your body responds to hunger and satiation. The good news is, is that we can, quote, fix the brain. As you implement new behavior changes, calorie restriction, healthy choice behaviors, and exercise, your brain will also adapt. But I also want to share the not-so-great news when it comes to weight loss. Your body is constantly fighting you when you try to lose weight. And there are a few reasons it does that. The first is metabolism. The more you work out or manage to restrict your calories to lose weight, the more your metabolism wants to compensate by slowing down and maintaining your current weight. Think about it this way. When your body gets sick, it creates antibodies to the illness so that next time when your body is exposed to the same illness, your immune system is prepared. Unfortunately, your body reacts in a similar way to weight loss. If you've lost weight in the past due to exercise or diet changes, which is great, and attempt to do those same strategies again to lose weight, your body, mostly hormones and also metabolism, will adjust to prevent similar changes in your body and as a result, you'll see fewer weight loss results. Some scientists even subscribe to the idea that your body has a set weight point. And all of the above, which include your metabolism, your hormones, your brain, are just going to work to adjust to maintain that weight. The theory is that people can have naturally higher or lower set weights than others. Uh, genetics, aging history of weight loss and other hormones can certainly impact that. And unfortunately, these set points tend to change with time, but they usually go in one direction. They rarely go lower. They tend to go higher. In the end, weight gain and weight loss are complicated. This process is controlled by food composition, hormones, calorie balance, your lifestyle, which includes sleep, physical activity, stress, anxiety. So to achieve weight loss, it's important to diet, but not too fast and not too slow. There's nothing wrong with slow weight loss other than the feelings of despair that sometimes accompany this lack of progress. And people often tie happiness and their emotional health to weight loss. But even when they have successfully lost their weight, sometimes they still remain dissatisfied and fall into this cycle of dissatisfaction. This leads to increased stress, increased anxiety, increased cortisol, all which can play a role to negatively impact your metabolism and make weight loss even more challenging. Some science suggests that slow weight loss actually helps to keep your metabolism high. So with science on your side, you can certainly maximize the rate of healthy, responsible weight loss to get to your goal weight. And when you examine the most responsible diet plans, you will find that good food, which include vegetables, whole fruits, not juices, fiber-rich foods like grains and beans and proteins, nuts, legumes, all of these things in moderations, trying to avoid processed foods, refined sugars, refined flours, fried food, excessive fats, all these things will lead to a healthier lifestyle. And I understand it may not be exciting 
to think about changing your life for only losing one or two pounds of fat. But if you follow a smart diet coupled with a healthy lifestyle, that one to two pounds of fat loss is going to be two to five pounds of fat loss in a month or 20 to 40 pounds of fat loss in a year. And those numbers are really exciting. Thank you all for tuning into the backstory where the goal and motivation of this podcast is to maximize your health and wellness. Be kind to yourself. Change the way you talk to you and about yourself. Try to be more self-reassuring. Reduce how critical you are of yourself, which will mean that you're more likely to get back on track even after a lapse. Until next time, we've got your back here at The Backstory. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Backstory. Please subscribe, rate the podcast, and review The Backstory on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. And feel free to share this podcast on social media or even your own website or blog. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. To learn more about Dr. Singh and his clinical research, please follow him on social media. You can also sign up for his newsletter by going to www.rickysinghmd.com. That's R-I-C-K-Y-S-I-N-G-H-M-D dot com.